Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Guys, yeah, keep Pastor Marcos in prayer. I spoke with him this morning. He's still back in Ethiopia. He was supposed to come back this week, and uh, he got tested positive. They still have it going on out there. Um, he's he's doing fine though. He's, he's he doesn't have fever. He's just he's been tested positive. I don't know if he's asymptomatic. He says he's feeling good. It's just you have to take a test to come back to the states, and it came back uh, positive. Should just be with him as it, as he has to go through that whole process uh, this morning with those things. Amen. Hey, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, so Romans chapter 8 this morning, and then also 1 John chapter 4, we'll jump over there for a moment, and take a little highway off there for a moment as we connect all the two this morning as we're continuing on with our sermon series called Freedom in, Freedom in Christ, Lord. We're looking at, my message this title this morning is Love Conquers All. A few weeks ago, I, I, I've been really watching a lot of documentaries. In the, a few weeks ago, I watched uh, the Tiger Woods documentary. And it was really basically his story. And we know if you've been watching him, if you're a golfer, you know who he is. And it's really a story about how his dad, first of all, discipled him, really discipled him to be this amazing golfer since he was a, a little kid. And he wanted to raise him up to be this great, this great person of golf. And, and, and Tiger loved, loved, loved his father. They, they did everything together. And so his dad invested all that time into him to, to teach him the game, to give him the skills of the game. Because his father really believed that Tiger was going to change the world. His father believed that he was going to, going to unite the world. He's coming from an African-Asian background. He was going to be the savior of the world. In fact, that was the thinking of his, in his father's mind at the time. And so growing up, he was getting his identity as an amazing golfer. And at the same time, he was losing his identity as a son. He was excelling in his craft, but he was losing sight of his, his moral compass. And we know we, we saw Tiger's great success, right? His fame, his, his money, all that he had, the power. He was signed by a lot of uh, uh, commercials and Nike and, and all those different things. And yet, we're all familiar with his moral failure of infidelity. He loses his marriage. He is sidelined from golfing for him a bit. The crowd that once affirmed him were disgusted by him and attacked him verbally. But after some time, Tiger made a decision to make a comeback, and he returned to the golfing world, and he went to win on, go on to win a couple of tournaments. And the crowd that, that came against him, that was attacking him, began to cheer him on. In fact, right after a couple of his victories, Nike came, on with a, came out with a campaign that said this, Winning takes care of everything. And then he felt that he got the approval of people back, yet he still needed to work harder. Let me tell you something. That's not how it is with our Heavenly Father. We don't need to try to be more holy or to be loved by Him or to be, to, to be close to Him. Listen, we have been accepted by faith. He's made us righteous, and now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So the challenge we face today is we think we need to work hard to please God. We have to sin less. We have to be more holy. Sometimes we, sometimes we determine that our spirituality is 
what we need to do instead of who we are. We have to be careful that our legalism doesn't determine our spirituality. In fact, in our culture, identity comes by what we have achieved. We have infatuation would be affirmed, accepted, and approved by people. That's why Facebook like buttons have so much power. This morning, I, I, I hope we can experience some freedom. It's not the law that saves us, but his amazing grace, his abundant mercy, and his unconditional love. So we're continuing our sermon, Freedom in Christ. That love conquers all. We've been journeying through the, the book of Romans, and I hope we have experienced some freedoms in our walk through this book, in our journey a little bit. I, and I've been presenting some statements to navigate our studies. So this morning's one is this. Do I measure my closeness to God by how little I'm sinning or by my trust that to the exact extent the Father loves Jesus and Jesus loves me? Let's pray. Father heaven, we, we pray this morning for the time together. We pray this morning that, God, you would direct us and lead us. We pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak as we deal with this agape love, this unconditional love as written in your scriptures, that we may gain some understanding about our position in you, that, Father, you've made us holy because we're in Christ this morning. Father, we're not trying to work harder. We're not trying to get your approval. You already accepted us and received us because we put our trust in you. We are loved by you. Even before we came to know you, you still loved us. And so we pray this morning that we would be set free in our thinking as it relates to our own walk with you, that, you're, that we're more than conquerors because of your love, that your love is that deep and that high and, that, and the width of it is crazy. May we begin to grasp at that this morning. I pray these things believing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We're going to look at a couple things this morning. The first one is love gives us a home. Love gives us a home. If we look at Romans 8, look at it, verses 12 through 17, and then you can hold that there. We're going to be in 1 John 4, 12 to 16, and we're going to connect those together. We're going to talk about this home that God's given us a, a loving home. I don't know, growing up, do you ever remember watching the movie? Some of us that are older might remember this, that show called Different Strokes. Now, Different Strokes was really a, 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 about a man who adopted these two kids, Willis and Arnold. In fact, their, their, their mom was Mr. Drummond's maid, and when she, she had passed away, he adopted them because he wanted to make sure that they didn't have the experience of growing up in the projects, but he moved them from the projects to the penthouse. And the whole storyline, basically the comedy, was how these guys, how these young kids had to adjust from moving from the project to the penthouse, had to be gain a little bit more experience when they've gotten a, a little bit more than they had before. They, they had to learn how to adjust, how to, how to get out of that project mentality in order to move into the penthouse. And the funniest line is, what are you talking about, Willis? You remember that? What are you talking about, Willis? That old, that old show. Well, I want to share with you this morning, that's exactly what Christ did for us. He adopted us by faith. He removed us from the spiritual projects, and he, and he seated us in the heavenly places, and we are now living in the penthouse. But some of us are still trying to think like we're in the projects when we have been moved into the penthouse. Let me tell you something. God has given you a new home this morning. He's giving a new place. We have to walk like we live in the penthouse. 
He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. We, we see that in his scriptures this morning. So first of all, I want to let you know, as we talk about his giveness of heaven, number one, we are adopted into a loving family. We are adopted into a love. You see that in 8, 12 through 16. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For he did not receive the spirit of bondage again to free, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffered with him, may we also be glorified together. As we've been part of and adopted into this family, into this new home, number one, I want you to understand that we're not indebted to sin, but we're indebted to love. We're indebted to love. We, we see that in verses 12 to 14. You know, there's some good debt and there's some bad debt. You know, I, I, my wife and I, we have a, a Sam's credit card. And some of us see that could be debt because this world gets, they spend more than they have. But what we've done is that we've taken our Sam's credit card and we pay for everything, our gas, our groceries, a lot of many of the bills, because on our Sam's credit card, we get cash rewards if we spend our money. And so every month we'd go and we would spend and use our credit card. And at the end of the month, we would pay off our credit card. But there would be some money that would go toward that credit card. And at the end of the year, we would get cash back on all the money that we spent, 5%. See, there's some, there's some good debt and there's some bad debt, right? So the bad debt was that we're dead to sin, that there's debt that we leads to death, but there's good debt that leads to, to life. And he's saying here, we're no longer indebted to the flesh. We see that in 12 and 13. We have been set free from the flesh. For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad death. We can't cover that debt. See, the lie this morning that we have, even in this home, in this house, in this family, is that we think the flesh offers life, but it only bears the fruit of death. Think about it. It's death to families. It's death to the relationship with our children. It's death to the relationship with our marriage. It's death to the success in our business. There's death that comes when we live according to the flesh, and it affects all of us. And so because of that, God's offered us and given us new life in the Spirit. And we have been, because of that, we have been indebted to love. That was his gift to us. He's the comforter. Jesus said that I must leave, that a, another must come. And, and they waited for this gift in the book of Acts when they met in an upper room and God poured out his gift of the Holy Spirit upon them. The Holy Spirit is defined as love as we read in Galatians 5, 22, 23. So we're indebted to this love because the Spirit of God lives within us. This is a good debt, the debt of love, because what you are the sons of God. We sang that this morning. We're, we're singing out the very position and identity that we are as his children. We are the sons and daughters of God. And even this world needs to know us as that because they said, they'll know that you're my followers. You'll know that you're my disciples as sons and daughters of God, that you love one another. That that was going to be the evidence of this life in the spirit. So children are marked by love because of the spirit that lives within and in them. But we also understand because of this love that we are no longer orphans, but beloved children. We're beloved children. We see that in 15 through 17 in Romans chapter 8. We have been adopted into God's family. There's a sonship that is 
based on the spirit that's in us. That's the that's the mark. That's the thing. I remember when um, my mom, she was my stepmom who adopted us, my brother and I, when my dad remarried, because my mom had passed away when I was younger. She adopted us, and we had to go through an adoption process. And on the birth certificate now, our birth they changed to put my mom's name on it because now she became the legal guardian of me. When we come by faith, God changed our, our position and adopted us into his family, and it's marked out. And the Spirit is the marking of that in our life. I love the commentary, and the writer David Kusick said this. Paul didn't say as many as go to church, these are the sons of God. He didn't say as many as read their Bibles, these are the sons of God. He didn't say as many as our patriotic Americans, these are the sons of God. He didn't say as many to take communion, these are the sons of God. In this text, the test of sonship is whether or not a person is led by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. But in this sonship, in this home, in this family, in this church family, in this diverse church family, God has blessed us with some fringe benefits, I would say. Some blessings that come with that. He talks about how we get to pray, Abba, Father, right? That's a very intimate term. Abba, Father means Daddy, Papa here. We have an intimacy with God. As children of God, we have an intimacy with our our Heavenly Father and that we could call upon His name and, and that we could draw near to God. And the Bible says when we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. That God is Emmanuel, God with us. We don't get to draw near to Him because we're these holy people. No, we're holy because he is holy. And we, but yet God's ripping the curtain that we may enter into his holy of holies that may be, we may be into his presence because of his holiness and because he made us holy. And the blessing is we get the daddy's ear, right? You, you know, when moms, you know this, you know the cries of your children, right? You may be in a crowd, but you know the cries of your children. They, they got your dad, you know the cries of your children, right? God knows the cries of his children. He knows their voices, especially in his family. Prayer is such a, a benefit, it's such a, a powerful thing. Because it's not, the power of it is not because of what we know, but who we know. Come on now, come on now. It's not what we know, but it's who we know. And as family members, we are recipients, recipients of an inheritance. We don't have to be fearful, God, in the sense of this fear of like, is God going to bring judgment? Is God going to do this? But we have this intimacy, God, that we have this reverent fear. And so I don't really have fear of my father because I know he loves me. Yet because we identify with him, and just as much as he had hard times and just as much as he suffered, we're going to go through some trials and tribulations and suffering. We're going to go through difficulties. We're going to go through hardship. When, when families, we all felt that in the COVID as a family, it just wasn't the parents that went through it. Us as a family have felt the hardship of this community breaking down and not being with each other, not just as, as a corporate family, as a church, but even in our own families. Marcos is separate from his family because of this COVID situation. As he is identified with the gospel, as he is identified with Christ and going to serve our pastors and teachers in Ethiopia, there was a risk for him to go there. In light of COVID, he was willing to lay down his life for the gospel. In light of the cost of all that, to be separate from his family and even could die unto the Lord because of those things. This is no cheesy gospel. 
it, it's a gospel call to lay down our lives. And us as a community, as us, us as a family, have these benefits as sons and daughters of the a king. But his spirit bears witness of our spirit, the scripture says. I think this is the key to being more than conquerors here. We know there's a trinity. Then we know there's a spiritual trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there's also an earthly trinity, a body, soul, and spirit. That's us. Think of a three-layered house, a three-story house. You have the, the top is the body, the soul, and the spirit. That's the natural man. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That's the man prior before Christ. That's the man who's dead in his trespasses of sin. hasn't been made alive yet. But when we come to be born again or born of God, God does this miraculous work that he changes the position of the house and he moves now the spirit to the top level. And then you have the spirit, the soul, and the body there. That's what happens supernaturally when we come to faith because before Christ, the body, the flesh, the desires, the dead, calls us and leads us. They say the head leads the body. The head gives direction. Well, the top gives it and dictates to what happens at the bottom. But now when we come to faith, it reverses it. Now we have the spirit, the body, and the, uh, the spirit, the soul, and the body. Now we can walk in the spirit because the spirit leads us. Doesn't mean that the body and the spirit don't battle each other. That's Galatians 5.19, right? The flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. That's why we need to be born of the spirit. Remember when Jesus in John chapter 4 met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the half Jew, the half Gentile woman, and they were having conversations about living water. They are having conversations about worship. Jews worship in Jerusalem, but we worship at Mount Gerizim up in this mountain. And what did Jesus say? He said this, God is spirit and those who worship must worship him in spirit and truth. Maybe you're struggling with worship this morning. Maybe you're struggling with identity with who you are and, and how to worship and not understand what's going on because maybe you're not born of the spirits. Maybe you're still in the flesh. Maybe you're not born of God. And so these things that we speak about are confusing to you unless God as Ephesians says, let's pray that the eyes of the hearts would be enlightened. So we see that here. But if we're walking in the spirit, then we must have to abide in the love of family. I want you to jump to 1 John 4, 12 to understand this. If we're in this family, how do we abide in this family? How do we abide in, in love, in this loving family? I want to read it, 1 John 4, 12 through 16. It says, no one has seen the God at any time. If we love one another, abide, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he abides in us because he's given us his spirit. We just talked about that. We have, been, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as a Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed that the God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. God, in this freedom with love conquers all, first of all, we understand that God is perfecting us by his love. We're being perfected by love. God is working love out in our life, right? Yet, Scripture says no one has seen God, for God the Father is spirit. Moses got to see the backside of God through a crevice in the rock in the Old Testament. Paul writes, the young pastor Timothy in 117, now unto us the eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. But more than that, people can see God in us because we walk in the Spirit, and, they, and by us loving one another, they can see God. 
See, the church is the arms and the hands and the feet in the body of Christ, which is a representation of God to the world. That's what we call the body, <laughs> a family. We are the visible image of God, and the church needs to see this. Love is God's mark of authenticity, we see in 13 of 1 John 4. His spirit is a mark of authenticity, a rubber stamp of approval. The work of the spirit in our lives is the evidence of holiness and transformation. And because we have this love and we're embodying love, it's our responsibility to communicate this love, to, to, to announce it, right? To proclaim it, we see that. Loving people proclaim the gospel. They see and they testify. Our job is to tell people about Jesus. That's our, our mission. It says here in this passage, the gospel that God, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That we have to have a bold proclamation of the gospel. It's part of our faith. That's what a part of a walking and abiding in love. And that we're called to trust this love in 16 of 1 John 4. We're called to trust it. In fact, the word abide means to remain or to rest. It just means to, to hang out, to chill, right? We're to abide in this love. We're to have confidence in, in God's love for us so long so much that we just get to hang with him, that he's opened the door for that. And we can trust in God's love. So he's given us a home. He's given us a home that we can be with him and we can walk with him. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Love is sacri sacrificial. Go back to Romans chapter 8, love, starting at verse 31 to 34. Love is sacrificial. There's a funny story with the Pope of the Catholic Church was supposed to speak at the UN in New York, because there was a storm in New York, they couldn't land the plane in New York, so they had to fly it over to New Jersey. And they landed it in New Jersey, so the limo driver had to begin to go pick up the Pope in New Jersey. But because they were delayed, they were set back, they, they, the Pope felt an urgency to get there. So this limo driver is driving, and the Pope is getting anxious. He said, hey, man, can you just speed it up a little bit? I got to get to the UN. And the guy says, you know, really, I, I can't. I, I, I can't go faster because I've had previous tickets. I can't get another ticket. If I get to, I'll lose my license. And, and so the Pope says, you know what? Let, let's do this. Let me drive, and you sit in the back seat. I got to get there. So they switch positions. So now the Pope is driving and he's driving. And when he comes into New York, he's getting close to the UN. The police see this car, this limo going pretty fast and they pull him over. And so these two cops pull him over and they're sitting in the car. One stays in the car working. The other one comes up, comes up to the limousine, knocks on the window. The window opens down and he looks in and he recognizes the Pope. And he has his book ready and he puts the book away and he goes back to the car and sits down and his other officer says, aren't you going to give a ticket? He goes, no. <laughs> He goes, why not? I can't. He goes, what do you mean you can't? He goes, there's a, there's a, important, there's a, there's a very important person in that car. What do you mean? He goes, more important than, than, the, than the, the mayor, more important than the mayor, more, more important than the governor, more important than the governor, more important, the more important than the president. Who could be more important than the president? He goes, I don't know who's in that car, but all I know is the Pope's driving him. Christ's sacrificial love, in Christ's sacrificial love, he, he changed place with us. He took the driver's seat and we are along for the ride. He has placed you in a position of importance. And when Satan wants to pull you over and give you a false accusation, Christ is behind the wheel. <laughs> he stands in our gap, right? He's made a way for us. Listen, in verse 31, you're going to see this. God's got our back. 
God's got our back, right? What, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, as we continue on in the book of chapter 8, he's going to ask all these questions. Watch all these questions. It's important. Watch all these questions you can lay out. In fact, when you, we open up the book of Romans, you study the book of Romans, the first three chapters, you would think that God is against us. I mean, he just slams sin, man. You're like, hey, the checklist, boom, boom. We're just slam. You're like, God is not even for us. By the time you get to chapter four, all the way to chapter eight, then you see that God is really for us and the, and the work he did for us. And, he, and he's, got our, he's got our back, right? But in verse 31, he's kind of asking a question. He says this, what then shall we say of these things? Like, like Paul saying, you know, like he's speechless. Like, wow, let me, I don't even know what to say, how God good is, how good he is, and how I'm going to express his love and his goodness. Think about just in Romans chapter 8, what did we read that? Romans 8, 1, there's, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In, in 18, we read, uh, 8, 5, 15, we read, we have been blessed with adoption and inheritance. We just look at that. For those, we haven't touched on this verse, but 8, 28 is a famous verse. What? All things work together for good for those who love God. Man, I'm speechless of all the goodness that God has poured out on us. There's times where we got to have some Selah moments in our walk with God, like, God, you're good. I, I, I can't even, I, I don't even know what to say. You're so good, right? God's got our back and he's been looking out for us. Listen, God is not disappointed with us. He agapes us and he loves us unconditionally. Think about it. God plus us. Wow. It's a force to be reckoned with by faith. No defeat, only victory. But you look at verse 32, God demonstrated his love for us. Not only does he have his back for us, God demonstrated his love for us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him who also freely give us all things? God loved us so much that he gave us his best. That he didn't hold back, right? In fact, it says, he who did not spare his own son. The, the word there, spare, means did not withheld. Did not withhold back. He didn't. He wasn't like, oh, I don't know if I should give this, man. All these kids, these, these kid people, they cry creation. I don't know if they deserve this. He didn't do that. He didn't, he, he didn't, he didn't help keep it like this, but he gave it like this. To demonstrate his love. We don't have to read Romans chapter 5, right? How God demonstrated his love. While we were without strength, God gave his son. He freely gave his son. For what purpose? He freely gave, it says, but to deliver him for us all. The word deliver means he offered up his son for all. He gave our best. And so if he gave his best by giving us his son, how much more will he continue to give his best to us? Did you hear? God is consistent. He, he's never changing. He has the same character. He's always giving to us. If he gave his best, he's going to continue to give more. And we just see God's loving generosity freely give us all things. He freely gives us all things. This family, this house, this community, that's the sacrificial love. Not only does he just give us all things and he's got our backs. Check this out, 33 and 34. God advocates for us. God advocates for us. Look at 33 and 34. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died? Or furthermore, is it also risen? Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Listen, we've already understood that we have been 
acquitted of all sin. We've been justified by faith. What possible charge can anyone bring against us? See, his death and resurrection has covered our iniquities. It's covered our iniquities, our, our imperfections, our, our sin. But who comes, who can condemn us? There's three things that could condemn us this morning. Three things. Satan, the world, and the flesh. Satan, the world, and the flesh. Satan is the, the enemy from beyond. The world or even people around us can judge us and condemn us. In, in ourself, the flesh can condemn us. Let not the flesh condemn you. I talked about that a few weeks ago. We know that Satan is an accuser of the brethren. He's always bringing up charges against us. But we have to understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. I talked a little bit about this, but, but a little bit. We know that the, the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us, not to condemn us, to bring change in us. In fact, the role of the Holy Spirit, because it convicts us, draws us near to God, draws us toward God. The work of the enemy, Satan, condemns us, draws us a, away from God. We might even think, man, I'm, I, I've messed it up so bad, I can't pray. I, I can't go to church. I, I'm too bad. I've done wrong. I, 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 I just can't even, I'm not even worthy to be in God's presence. I think of Adam in the garden. And when they sinned, what happened? They, in shame, hid themselves, right? And Jesus and God came walking through the garden. And he, didn't, he began to ask, we didn't ask all these questions. Why did you do this? How come you didn't listen to me? He didn't do that. All he said was, Adam and Eve, where are you? He sought him out. He didn't even condemn him. He just sought him out. And what did they do? In their shame, they, they covered themselves, right? We know the story in Genesis chapter 3. They, they covered themselves with their own leaves. And God had to remove those leaves and sacrifice an animal in the beginning of Genesis, the first sacrifice, and covered them with the skin of an animal. Even the pre-picture of what was to come. Because their shame could not be covered on their own doings, only by the love and the grace and the goodness of God. That was a temporary covering, only a foreshadow of what was to come. But we have to understand that God continually intercedes for us from his throne. He's praying in the heavenlies. For God did not, for God, in John 3, 7, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, that, that the world through him might be saved. That was never his heart to condemn. But we see Jesus, we see Jesus sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we're called to sit at the feet of Jesus, I'm sorry. Here it states in the passage that Jesus is at the right hand of God. We know that the right hand is a position of authority. Sit at the right hand. That's why when James and John came to him and said, hey, in your kingdom, can we sit at your right hand? <laughs> right, they were jockeying for positions and all the other disciples got mad at them. In fact, they even sent their mom, Ms. Zebedee, to come and speak to Jesus. Hey, can you hook up my kids? And all the disciples got mad. What the heck do you think you're doing? You know what I mean? And Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom is a servant. Can you take on the suffering that I'm going to take on? Can you be baptized with the same baptism? I'm going to be baptized in the baptism of, suffer baptism of suffering. But if you turn to Mark chapter 16, it says that he ascended and sat at the right hand of God, the Father. He ascended and sat, he sat at the right hand. Remember, when Jesus went to the cross, we know there are seven sayings. One of them was, it is finished. Then he, was, then, he was, then he died, he was buried, rose again, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. 
we know that he was the high priest and he finished the work as a high priest. You know, when, when we're uncertain about certain things, we have a tendency to what? To, to pace back and forth. When we are uncertain about certain outcomes, but Jesus wasn't uncertain about his outcome. He, he just sat down. He rested. He watched, right? My proposal to you this morning is that you sit down and rest in the work of the cross. You sit down and taste that he's good, right? It's in this time you sit. Your confidence is in the work of the cross and take pleasure in that work, marinating God's loving presence. Marinate in that. So his love is sacrificial. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Love conquers all. Love conquers all, right? We see that Romans 8, 35 to 39, jump down to the end of the book, right? See, as parents, we're going to get this, right? When you have children, they're, they are your children, and you love them, and you do anything for your kids. You will lay down your life for your kids, right? For in some ways, they could do no wrong in your eyes. And even when they don't act like your children, they're still your children. Come on now. All right? Even when they don't act like your children, they're still your children. Right? When we become born again, when you're born of God and born into God's family, nothing can change that. Even if you act childish, even if you let go of God's hand, God still has your hand. This is why love conquers all. Right? God's love is a binding agreement. I want you to grasp that. I want you to find some freedom in that. And so in verse 35 to 37, we are more than conquerors. Look at this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That is written for your sake. We are all killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Earthly things, this world, cannot separate us from God's love. In fact, the word separate means, is the same word for, we get the word divorce. Like a marriage relationship. What can divorce us from God's love? But like any marriage or any family, there's trials, there's difficulty. We face tribulations and trials, right? Shall tribulations, that's pressure of life, Distress, that's anguish of mental and physical health. Persecution means of ill treatment because of race, political, or religious beliefs. Famine, that means scarcity, that there's not need met. Nakedness means basic clothing. Perils means danger of life, and the sword means violence. We will face life's problems. That's what he's saying here. With life's, with life's problems and pressures and, and challenges separate us from his love? See, we're not exempt from suffering as God's people, but it'll never rob us of his love. It'll never separate us from his love. It'll never divorce us of his love. In fact, it gives us a, a different picture here that just how vulnerable we are, are in this world in the midst of these trials and difficulties. What does he say here in 36? That we are sheep living among wolves. 
We're sheep, right? He's quoting Psalm 4411. We're vulnerable and, and in danger. Sheep are defenseless. They're easy prey and easy to be preyed on. We are lambs. We are weak. Listen, what sports team has a mascot of a lamb? That's not the picture you have for victory. That's not the picture you have for something. Yes, yeah, you're cheerleading for the lamb. You know what I mean? Lambs were dumb. Lambs were weak, right? A lamb could graze on the ground and there'll be a little fence, but it's open on this side and this side. They'll graze to the ground and they'll stop there and they won't go around. They'll just stay at the fence and look at the fence. We are like, all of us, like our lambs or sheep that have gone astray, amen? He, he describes the church as a sheep, as lambs. We do some dumb things sometimes, okay? But listen, we're more than conquerors, even as lambs. We're more than conquerors, right? We're the victors. We're the winners. We are the champions, okay? We're not the victims. We're the victors. I want you to hear this. We're not the victims. We're the victors. That's the difference between the person of the flesh and the person of the spirits, we have confidence that we're more than conquerors, right? Uh, you guys been watching March Madness? No. Okay. Uh, sorry for you, San Diego State guys. We got our butts kicked uh, yesterday or two days ago. Okay. Um, but if you watch those games, right, those games are really tight. They're really close, right? And, and the thing about those games is that when they're playing the games, they don't know if they're more than conquerors because they're in the moment of the game. They don't know the outcome, and so they feel the pressures and the stresses and all that's going on there in the midst of all that's happening. They're feeling it, and they're not shouting they're the victors yet until that buzzard sounds, and the numbers on the scoreboard is more than the other team. And then they rejoice and have victory. They, have, they celebrate victory at the buzzards. But I want you to stand in, in light of that concept idea. We as the church are more the victors. We already know that we're victors. So we can walk in victory even in the midst of the pressures of life, even before the buzzard sounds of our eyes, even before those things happen. Listen, we already know we're the victors. We already know the outcome. We already know before the buzzard blows who wins. We already know that because the book of Revelation tells me so. So I don't have to wander off and get crazy and fearful and anxious because I already know the end. We can weather the fire like the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We can weather the storms. We can weather the lion's den. We can weather the tribulations. We can weather all those things because we're more than conquerors. We can weather the pandemic. We can weather the racism. We can weather the politic craziness. We can weather all those things because we're all in one in Christ and we're kingdom people. Like Pastor Pope said on Friday, we're not of this world. We're citizens of heaven. Let's keep it real and let's keep it raw of whose kingdom we serve. And lastly, we are more confident in his love, 38 and 39. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor heights nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, again, we are confident that we are victors. In fact, the word persuaded means convinced, to come to believe. You're thinking. Guys, have you come to believe in your victory? Because you can walk at defeatism. 
See, earthly things can't defeat us. Neither can eternal things cannot separate us from the love of God, right? Angels nor principalities, right? That's the rank of angelic beings. Nor powers. There's other ranks in the spiritual realm. Nothing present or past. That's historical. That's historical. That's history. Heights or death or created things can separate us from the love of God. God's love is constant because it's eternal. And nothing shall be able. No power can separate us from God's love. As I close this morning, God doesn't love me when I'm good and hate me when I'm bad. God loves me good or bad. God, may God help us to comprehend what his length, his breadth, the depth, the height, to know that the love of Christ that God has for us is in him. Our identity is in him. So let me remind you of these three things. Number one, love gives us a home. Welcome to the family. Number two, love is sacrificial. And number three, love conquers all. Father in heaven, we humbly come before you this morning. And Lord, we pray this morning that you, Lord, that your love would just envelop your people this morning. I don't know where they're at, whether they're online or whether they're here this morning. And, uh, Father, they feel abandoned. But I want them to understand by faith they can be adopted. They feel outcast and alienated. But your love draws them in. Uh, Father, I pray that, Lord, they think that they've gotten so far bad. They're so far dark. Your light overcomes the darkness. That's your love. Father, we cannot run from you, the psalmist says. The highest mountain of depth is sea. We can't hide from you. But we understand this this morning, that your love is more than enough. Your love is more than enough, Lord. We receive your love this morning. I don't have to try to be more holy and more holy and more holy and do more things in order to receive your love. We are holy because you made us holy. Father, you are our God. We are your people. We are your family. We are your bride. We are your children by faith. And so we come understanding that we want to receive the Father's love this morning. So I pray for your church this morning. I pray your blessings upon them. That they would receive your word this morning. They would see the truth of your word, for the truth will set us free. So we hold on to that truth, Lord. That it comes in our heart and we receive it. We walk in it. Thank you. Praise you. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.